You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. Before we get into our guest today, just wanted to go over a couple things. Once again, if you'd like to uh, be on the show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also, check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Millionaires Unveiled. Also, we've had several of you reach out about the uh, multifamily investments. Um, we did have some that, that have closed, but we will have more in the pipeline in the future. If you'd like to discuss those, please, please reach out to us and uh, we can get on a phone call with you. All right, so on the show today, we've got Neil, and Neil's net worth is $2.5 million. And Neil is a physician practicing in radiology. And he has most of his wealth in his retirement accounts and a little bit in a, in a paid-off house and some other uh, investment accounts. And he kind of uses this three-trick pony in terms of the funds that he uses to invest. And he kind of goes into that, into the show, as well as other investment strategies. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Welcome to Millionaires Unveiled. Today on the show, we've got Neil. Neil, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a... Um... I'm a physician, first of all. Um, I am a radiologist, actually, so uh, interpret imaging studies, CTs, MRIs, CAT scans, um, you know, uh, those kind of things. Anytime you go to the hospital and get those done, that's me that's looking at them and seeing what's going on and uh, what's wrong with you, hopefully not so, not what's wrong with you. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I, my wife's a, a physician also. Uh, we have two children, two young children. One is almost four and one is... Um, uh, about, uh, five months old, a little over five months old. And so, uh, yeah, so I, um, I'm 38 years old. I've been out of my residency training for, uh, about a little over six years now. And, um, you know, basically just working in a private practice. Um, I live in Pennsylvania, live outside of, uh, just outside of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, basically, uh, that's my backstory as far as, as far as what I'm doing, where I'm at at the moment, um, and uh, and also I guess the guys, the way you guys find out about me is um, I uh, write a blog called MyCuriosityLab.com, uh, which basically talks about things I'm interested in, and part of that is personal finance and you know helping doctors think about um, doctors and other other people who have interest in personal finance, thinking about their own personal finances, and you know sharing the my path to how I got where I was and how I got interested in, um, in personal finance, uh, among the other things, um, in other areas that I like to kind of explore about my life on the blog. And so that's where I'm at right now. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? So right now it's at about 2.5 million. And how is that broken up? So, uh, most of it, um, or the majority of it is, uh, in retirement accounts or accounts that are earmarked for retirement. Um, I have, uh, Roth IRAs for both my wife and I, and those total about 150,000. Um, and, uh, also a fidelity, uh, 401ks, um, for both my wife and I, and those are about a little over 650,000. Um, and then, uh, we have a shared, uh, taxable account through Vanguard. That's, a, a 1.4 million, uh, right now. 
and our primary resident primary residence, which is uh, is paid off, um, is about three, worth about three hundred fifty thousand, and we have about one hundred fifty thousand dollars in uh, in cash at the moment um, that we have earmarked for some uh, home improvement projects, um, and then kind of subtracting from the net worth is about two hundred thousand dollars in student loans uh, that were are very low interest there. We were lucky in that uh, when we graduated, those are mostly from uh, medical school, medical school loans. And when we graduated from medical school, we were able to consolidate those at a very low interest rate. They're less than 2%. uh, I think it's 1.875% each. So we've just kind of been slowly paying those down rather than working hard to um, decrease the the principal on those. Um, So those have been sitting sitting and making the minimum payments since we graduated from medical school and went through residency. Just so let me ask on that, you have about 2.1 in the market, you know, between the, the Vanguard taxable account, the Roth IRA and, and the Fidelity account. How, how, are, how is it invested in that? Do you prefer, you know, actively managed mutual funds, index funds, or if so, you know, what kind of either? So I'm pretty much a, a you know, three index fund type of guy, a pretty uh, vanilla investments. I kind of discovered in my early uh research or learning about finances, the, uh, the Boglehead website, Boglehead's websites. Um, and, uh, you know, also the, the website and the, eventually the book of the white coat investor, who I know you've had in the podcast before. Um, and you know, I, so basically those are, it's all index funds, low cost index funds, uh, passively, um, passive low cost index funds, um, nothing really actively managed. And out of that, um, my asset allocation that I shoot for is about 70% stocks and 30% bonds. And out of the stocks, about, uh, you know, 40% is uh, U.S. equities, U.S. stocks, and 30% is in international stocks. And then 30% is the, is the U.S. bond index funds. And those are, depending on what I'm in, either Vanguard, Vanguard or, um, you know, with my taxable or fidelity with my 401k, it's the associated, you know, indices that are, that are with them. So that's how it's broken down. And then just, a, you know, a very simple question, but from the beginning, how did you know, you know, where to start? How did you know where to go to Vanguard? Where did you read kind of what funds to start with? How, what was that whole process? Well, it kind of started, I would say, near the end of, of my residency training. Um, you know, in the beginning, when I first came out of medical school, you start to make uh, a little bit of money in the beginning of your residency. Um, you know, it's a... Uh, it's by no means a uh, chump change, but you know, you're not, you're definitely, um, it's, it's not the kind of money, uh, that you would make as an attending once you're done your training. So, um, you know, the beginning, I was just kind of, I had some peripheral interest in it, but I was mostly focused on, on, you know, the training and the work. It's, 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 uh, takes up a lot of your time and, um, and energy. And so I was just kind of putting money aside into the, into my uh, 401k type account. Um, I think it was 403b uh, when I, where I was training at my university. Um, and so, but near the end of my, my residency, I spoke to uh, some financial advisors who several residents or a lot of the residents in my program worked with, and they were, uh, they were selling uh, disability insurance. And I was looking to get a life and disability insurance um, kind of before I left my fellowship. Um, I'm not in, in retrospect, I'm not really sure I needed um you know, that right at that point, but that seemed to be what everyone was doing. And I wasn't really paying too close of attention, you know, attention to my financial life at that point. Um, but at any rate, 
in talking to these people, uh, they, they were really trying to sell me a, um, a whole life insurance policy, which long story short, it was very, it's a very expensive policy. It was a very expensive policy. And, um, it kind of made me balk it at, at going ahead and, and taking, you know, their very strong advice that that's, that was the right choice for me at that time. And so I kind of took a step back and took a, a few weeks before getting back to them with our answer and decided I needed to read a little bit about that. And, you know, that kind of took me down the rabbit hole of Googling you know, whole life insurance. And eventually I found these uh, personal finance websites like Bogleheads um, and started reading more and more about personal finance and eventually bought some books um, about it. I remember the first one I bought was uh, at a Barnes and Noble, I think near my house. And it was a uh, personal finance for dummies by Eric Tyson. And uh, it's a great book actually. Um, even though the title is a little bit funny, but it has, it had, you know, pretty much all the basics of, of personal finance um, as far as, uh, you know, how to, what to think about the different aspects of it, insurance investments. Um, and in reading a lot of these websites, I kind of, I kind of came to understand that the, the consensus was that this stuff is doable if you take the time to learn it to a certain degree. Um, and most people really advised, you know, going the way of low cost index funds on, at least on these forums and, and the websites that I was reading. Um, and that's the way to, to get the most bang for your buck with your investments. And so, you know, over the course of maybe several months, four months, five months, six months, I did a lot of reading and kind of jumped into it at first and, uh, you know, didn't, didn't get that whole life policy about a term life policy with, with, uh, those advisors eventually and kind of a slowly built off my knowledge as time has gone on. That was, you know, eight years ago or seven years ago or something like that when that started. So that's how I, that's how I kind of, I kind of took the advice of, you know, those who, who went before me along that path, um, including, like I said, the white coat investor too, I read his website a lot. Um, and, and learned from, from other people's advice and other people's mistakes. Uh, so I felt pretty lucky that I, that I found it at that point in my life rather than some point much later uh, when I'd already uh, potentially made some financial mistakes. Yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. So do you recommend that personal finance book for dummies or is there, is there another book you've read since then that you recommend, you know, more for um, just that's, getting started? That's a, that's a great book. Um, a lot of people uh, recommend, uh, and I like the Bullheads Guide to uh, Investing, um, which is a uh, you know kind of based on um, to some degree. John Bogle, for people who might not know, uh, Bogleheads refers to uh, John Bogle, who was the founder of Vanguard. And uh, people, he didn't write the book, but uh, Taylor Larimore and a few other authors um, who kind of follow his follow in his footsteps of of Vanguard's philosophy of low cost, mostly low cost index funds wrote that book. And they have the, the guide to investing has, you know, it's not just purely investing. It has a lot of other information about personal finance in there. Um, and if people are physicians, the white coat investors book is actually really excellent. It covers not just investing, but all aspects of personal finance for doctors. Um, so those are, and you can kind of go, if you, if you look on, uh, the Bulbahead's website, or even I think the White Coat Investor has kind of recommended reading lists. And some of them are, I've read a bunch of personal finance books at this point, and some of them 
there's something to be learned from each of them. But um, I think for for someone just looking to learn the basics of investing, um, you know, the the bullhead bullhead guys in investing and FICO investor are kind of nice place to start. Um, and personal finance for dummies was was good too. I haven't read that one in a long time. Maybe I'll go back and revisit it at some point. But uh, that's a nice book as well. So. Good stuff. So let's let's mm-hmm. backtrack here just a little bit. You've got a paid for house. You said the value is at three hundred fifty k. Hmm. Yes. I mean, two doctors and a paid for house. Like that's got to be like a little weird, right? I mean, your colleagues can't be in the same boat. How did how did you guys kind of arrive at? Hey, we're just going to get a three hundred fifty thousand dollars house and we're going to pay it off as we build this net worth. Yeah, I mean, um, it was a few things. Uh, we live in a fairly low cost of living area where we live. So our day-to-day expenses and, uh, you know, the things we spend money on, we really try to try to focus on putting a lot of our money, um, you know, from our paychecks kind of being earmarked toward retirement or uh, initially when we still have our mortgage toward paying down debt. And then the way, the way my salary or my pay is structured um, I had a I have a base pay, and then there are periodic bonuses based on uh, how the group is doing, and you know, not really performance based bonuses, but you know the revenue that comes in, and they're variable, um, at different depending on the month and depending on the time of year. So I basically tried to live off um, the the base salary, and then the bonuses, which were sometimes you know, a good percentage of what the, what the base salary was every month, I would just use uh, to either invest or to pay down the, the mortgage. And um, I mean, some of that is appreciation. That wasn't the, the initial uh, cost that we, we purchased the house for. Um, and we've also done some improvements on the house over the years, but um, yeah, I think, I think it was just li- living, living below our means, um, not, not getting the, the big fancy cars. Um, we have our, we, and we stayed in another part of it is we also stayed in our house that we bought in residency. So we've lived here for, um, almost 12 years now. Wow. So we didn't kind of, we didn't kind of step up, you know, from a small house or a condo to a small house to a McMansion as we, as we got a family. Um, we kind of just stayed in the starter house and fixed it up and, you know, it's appreciated in value. So that's, that's, that's kind of a, the approach we took. Are you trying mm-hmm. to, to retire early by any means? Yeah. Um, that's one of our, that's one of our aspirations. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a work in progress and, you know, a moving target deciding what we're going to do. I mean, I think, I think realistically there are a couple, a couple of things that we need to figure out before we would actually both completely retire early. Um, one is deciding, you know, if we both retire early, then we'd have to figure out what we're going to do with healthcare for us and our family. Mm-hmm. And that's a big X factor for anyone who retires early, um, significantly early than Medicare age. They have to figure out how to cover their healthcare. And sometimes it's, it seems to be a constantly changing is, you know, based on the, the conditions in Washington, how, how that kind of healthcare might be obtained and how much it might cost. So um, we're not sure if we're quite ready, you know, in the, intermediate term future to completely both retire early. I think more realistically, uh, one or both of us, one of us might retire 
completely and the other one might stay in a part-time position for an extended period of time um, as our kids kind of get older so we can have more free time and um, you know still have that still have a position where we could have health care provided by an employer um, and still have some salary coming in so we potentially might not have to uh, draw from the nest egg that we have saved and we we could just live off whatever salary the one person is bringing in for our daily expenses and potentially even contribute a little bit more to it uh, with that salary. So, um, and then the other thing is, you know, making sure that all our, before we would do that, I think we'd probably want to make, before we would go to more part-time positions, we'd probably want to make sure that our student loans are paid off and also that uh, college savings were taken care of to a large degree so that we, we basically wouldn't have any big financial costs looming over us before we pulled the trigger on that. Um, and then after we did that, I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's hard to predict the future. I think, I feel like our, our plans have changed multiple times already, but I think eventually at some point in the future, we probably will try to retire completely before the, the uh, full retirement age. Um, but I don't know at what point that will be. It'll depend on a lot of different factors that it's hard to guess at this point, you know? So with as much as you're comfortable, can maybe talk about your range of salary from, from when you started till now and how your your investing strategy and your allocation of your investments, maybe how that change in income has invest how has has uh, you know changed your your strategy and your allocation affected yeah, that. Um so during uh my first paycheck was when I finished medical school and started my first year of of residency. And for me, my residency training was, uh, six years long. So, um, it started, uh, I don't remember the exact salary amount, but it was somewhere in the, around $45,000 a year at that point. And then you get, you get a few thousand dollars a year pay raise as you go through the, uh, the years of training. And it's actually at my institution, it was a standardized pay scale so that if you were two years out of training, uh, or out of medical school, rather, you were, they, they call it a PGY2, a postgraduate year two, um, or a postgraduate year three, you got the same salary wherever you were working in the hospital um, as a resident. And so it ended, I, mean, I probably at the end of that six years, I was close to um, fifty-five dollars or $60,000. And then uh, when I first came out of my training, my position was, the, the way my group is set up, uh, my, my private practice group, uh, you work for a year before you become a partner in the group. And that year is just a set salary. Uh, and so that was for me about $350,000 or $350,000 to start. And then after that, you become a partner. There's a, there was a, a small buy-in that was, uh, not really for any, um, physical, uh, you know, equipment that we owned or any office space. It was just kind of a, a token buying in a way um, of, uh, I think it was $20,000, just a good faith buying really um, to the group to become a partner. And that was, that was basically subtracted from the salary over the next year. But then at that point, you basically, you share the, any profits that the group makes over the year above and beyond the, your base, everyone's baseline salary, and you split it among all the partners that's the way our group works. Um, and my style, it's, it's pretty variable. Uh, it can depend a lot actually on 
reimbursements and and how Medicare changes the reimbursements each year and how insurance companies kind of follow with that and the, the volumes of the patients that come in and out of the hospitals. But um, I'd say my salary has ranged from 375 to 475 over the past uh, five years after I became a partner. And how is how is the investment? I mean, if you're say you started out making forty five thousand, how much of that, you know, when you're in residency, were you investing percentage wise compared to what you've been doing maybe the last five to seven years as you've kind of been more of an attending physician? Yeah, so that's a that's a good question. And I would say in residency, I was probably saving. Um, I was trying to. My goal was basically to max out my four hundred one k, so I was saving, uh, and some of that was. Some of that was matched by um, my residency, so I was trying to save basically at the point at that eight point it was I remember, but it was less than eighteen five it is now it was something like maybe fourteen or fifteen um, so that's how much I was saving per year, so I might have been saving twenty five percent of my salary or something like that twenty percent twenty five percent and then uh, in more recent years, just because you know there's more money overall i don't you know, if you um, subtract my living expenses, which I, I was saying earlier, I tried to keep try to keep as low as I could. Um, and uh, I think nowadays I'm saving closer to forty percent, forty percent plus of my of my uh, salary between my wife and I uh, each year. Um, and a lot of that is just because we have, you know, more overall money, and we're able to to earmark more of that for for retirement savings. Um, so that's, that's how it's, that's how it's going to change over the years. So do you have a target net worth or any goals financially? Yeah. Um, that's actually just what I was saying earlier. It's, it's always hard. We, you know, it's a moving target in some ways. Um, reading some of these other, these other bloggers who talk about, you know, how much they, they had planned to save in the beginning to retire. And then, uh, like there's a there's a blogger called Physician on Fire, um, who uh, really focuses on Fire, which is is an acronym for financial independence to to retire early. Um, and he talks about you know how he had he had aspirations for um, a bigger a bigger nest egg for retirement, but then once he kind of did the math and realized how much he had and what he could you know how he could live off that, he decided to to at least go part time um, earlier than he had anticipated. And I think. We're, you know, initially, it all comes down to calculations, uh, or most people when they when they do these calculations that talk about retiring early, think about how much money they're going to spend in retirement, and then doing a backwards calculation to say, you know, how much money do I need as a nest egg to take out this annual stipend for myself and make sure that I don't run out of money. Um, and what a lot of people use is, is uh, based on uh, something called the Trinity study, which said that that four percent of your of your nest egg value um, is uh, a quote unquote safe amount to withdraw at each year, so that you know your chance of running out of money is is low enough and it's safe to do it in perpetuity um, and retire. So uh, it's a long that's a long answer or a long way of saying that. Um, that's the way that, that we think about or that I think about trying to figure out what my what my nest egg should be um, before I, you know, decide to pull the trigger for retirement. So um, it, it depends on the hard part is trying to figure out what 
what my expenses are going to be and then calculate backwards to see what the, what the nest egg should actually be. Um, so I think, I, and, and expense, and the thing is like expenses just change so much when you have kids and thinking about, you know, if we were to stay and stay where we are, if we would move, what the cost of living would change. But I think the ballpark figure that I have in my mind is somewhere between, between $4 million and $5 million to, to be able to retire completely and um, you know, not, not have to worry about running out of money at some point. And do you anticipate your allocation changing as you guys keep you know, making money through the years, or do you think you'll kind of keep it in that, that three-trick pony? Um, I think I'll probably keep it in the three-trick pony, uh, the, the three, uh, three index funds. But I think I probably, um, when I'm getting closer to having that full nest egg, I'll go a little more conservative with my, um, with my allocation, have a little bit more bonds, maybe 40% or even up to 50% bonds. So I would have a 50, 50 split, um, between, between equities and bonds, uh, in retirement. I think that would be as far as I would go. I wouldn't go more than that. Um, to still have, to still have some growth, but also have some stability for down markets. So, that's what I'm thinking at the moment. Just so, what do you have? What advice do you have for students that you know maybe in residency or starting med school? What what personal finance things should they consider? Where where do they start? Um, I think uh, you know one thing that is important to um, stress with residents coming out is that you know a lot of people, and I know I felt like this uh, when I was coming out of training or listening to people talk about finances. Um, they think that it's that it's not possible to do it yourself. Um, I think part of that is, you know, they go through doctors go through such intense training and you know become experts in their field, and they feel like they want to pass off the the control or the um, the decisions about their finances to someone else who they feel is an expert in their field. Um, and you know, some there are there are financial advisors especially fee-only financial advisors that can be really valuable to provide provide advice. And I know people who do that and, you know, that's a, that's a a good option for some people. But um, I think with, if you're interested in it and, you know, it's a way to to save money and get your money to more work, to work more for you, um, you can kind of go it on your own and spend uh, as little as a few weeks or, you know, better a few months reading about personal finance, um, learning about it and, and kind of implementing your plan yourself. Um, and so that's one thing that, that residents can, can think about doing before they, before they graduate and, uh, and head on to their, their real day jobs. And then the other thing is um, what a lot of people tout online, which is to avoid lifestyle inflation. And, you know, when you get that first attending paycheck, to just avoid going out and buying, you know, a hundred thousand dollar, car and buying a million dollar house and, and doing all those things that basically eat, eat up all the extra money that you could otherwise be saving toward retirement or paying down your student loans. Um, and so just, just trying to, for the most part, you know, uh, uh, not let, not let your spending explode as soon as you finish residency because you've, you know, it's a lot of residents, it's very tempting just because you feel like you've worked so hard and you're finally getting that, that, that bigger paycheck. Um, but I think if you can, if you can just loosen your purse strings a little bit, um, but not, not go too crazy. Um, I think it can go a long way toward uh, a healthy financial future. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's a piece of advice that we, 
that we hear often from the show is not having a dramatic lifestyle change when your when your income starts to increase. Any mistakes you've made? Any big mistakes? Anything that you'd suggest people not do, or anything you wish you would have done better? Yeah, like like I said, the the that one moment, um, I, I think I was I almost made a big mistake uh, by potentially buying a whole life insurance policy. Um, I actually wasn't was thinking about buying it very seriously for for a few weeks before I before I started reading about it, uh, you know, more seriously. And then, like I said, that kind of that kind of led me down the road to reading more about about personal finances. So um, I feel like I got I got pretty lucky and I hit it right at the I hit it right at the right moment uh, before I can make a big financial mistake like that. I mean, I'm sure I. Can, Nothing. I've never made never made a financial mistake. I'm sure I have. I'm just can't. I can't think of a, a specific example at the moment. Um, but uh, I don't know. I feel. I feel like. I feel like I got pretty lucky, and I learned a lot from from the other uh, people that um, had kind of thought about those things and made some mistakes before me. Um, and I just happened to to catch it at the right moment before I started to started to put a lot of money into something that I didn't need potentially. Um, so, uh, I'm glad there were those other resources online and books and websites that I was, that, uh, that I and a lot of other people can kind of go on and, and find the information that's, that's just right out there to, to, to read if you want to, if you want to read it. Good stuff. Where can people get in touch with you or find out more about you? Yeah. So, um, my website is called mycuriositylab.com. Um, I go by the name Dr. Curious and, like I said, I'm just kind of, uh, I talk about personal finance in there, but I talk a little bit about different areas that interest me, travel, um, you know, kind of self, uh, examination and self experimentation, parenting and children and a variety of things, uh, whatever I'm thinking about uh, that week or that month. And, um, as far as social media, I'm pretty active on, on Twitter, um, which is, uh, um, you can find me as Dr. Curious on Twitter. Uh, so, yeah, that's where people can find me online. Good stuff. We get Neil from mycuriositylab.com, net worth $2.5 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.